This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131806? And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. And I hope it made some people realise the lack of compassion, whether you believe in someone politically or not. You know, when someone's had a horrendous accident and all you can think is that, oh, he was drunk or he was breaking the law or he was doing something. When people are in dire straits in front of you, it's a trauma that stays with you forever. Club bosses and AFL bosses will tell you it's a pandemic. You're being paid really well. You're getting paid all the money that you thought you were going to be paid, unlike a lot of Australians. I mean, really, get over it. It's gorgeous, it's informative, it's steeped in history. Mussolini tried to get rid of pasta because it was seen as the pauper's staple and he was trying to eliminate that entire class of people. That worked well, didn't it? Getting rid of pasta. (laughs) You've talked about this hole before. No, this is another hole. That was a littler hole outside the front gate. She's thumping the desk, Miss Jane. It gets scary when she does that. I don't like it. I feel like I'm on footy classified. First it was a hole, then this massive dumpster bin. You know, you can't even sneak stuff in there because the workmen seem to be there 24-7. I'm going to put stuff in there anyway. I do love an empty dumpster bin. Let's face it, who doesn't? Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Hello, everyone. This is episode 178 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. Can you believe it? We just roll along, Corey Perkin. Lovely to see you again. Oh, for the 178th time. <laughs> Hello, Jane. Hello, Caro. Hello, and, potties. And counting. Um, lots to talk about this week. Thank you for all your wonderful responses to our, well, our trip in our mind to beautiful Italy and for all your wonderful tips and suggestions. Big week this week. Oh, my Lord. Australia's back in the grip of COVID, although not Victoria as we sit here today, but that will probably happen. Who knows? Massive response media-wise to the return of Daniel Andrews, which which Corrie predicted last week. Fascinating return that was. We're going to address some of the psyche of people and why those rumours were spread. Heaven knows. Anyway, a bit more of that later. Thank you to our sponsors, our most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. That is Red Energy. And, of course, the cocktail cabinet will be opening up later in the show, thanks to Prince Wine Store. We'll be announcing the first two winners of our Prince Wine Store wine appreciation course. Caro, that went off. I know. We had people from afar wanting to join the like really afar, wanting to join the Prince well, Miles, Wine Store. And Miles has very kindly um, picked up our uh, request today to talk about cocktails to serve at 21st. So I just think we can serve them for ourselves, can't we? <laughs> do we have to just do them at 21st? Anyway, I'm looking forward to that. I'm also um, here to tell you about a live event that is coming up, Miss Jane. Don't Shoot the Messenger and the Sounding Board mashup. Now, the Sounding Board are our brothers, Craig Hutchison, and Damien Barrett, they have they're a very... They're not really our brothers. No, they're not. And they don't always agree with us either. They're a little bit younger than us too. So we're the older sisters. No, I wouldn't say they're that much younger, but they're a little bit younger. Anyway, they've got an incredibly successful podcast that has been going for a very long time. The Sounding Board, it's really worth a listen. We're getting together at the Astor Theatre. And that event is happening on Thursday, the 22nd of July. The Astor Theatre, of course, beautiful old theatre at number one Chapel Street, St Kilda, just near the corner of Dandenong Road there. It starts at 5pm. That's the arrival. It costs you $35. You'll get a drink when you arrive. And at six o'clock, we're going to do a live uh, live podcast. The proceeds are going to be donated to BCNA, Breast Cancer Network Australia. Thank you to Red Energy, who is supporting it, 100% Aussie-owned gas and energy. So that's going to be massive, $35. Thursday, 22nd of July, the Don't Shoot the Messenger and the Sounding Board mashup. Do you think they're putting their name first in their promotion? Probably. They've never done a live event before, Cara. You girls are very experienced at this. Oh, so babes in the woods, just what we like. never been out of the studio. Mashup will mash <laughs> them up. We are old pros. Thank you to my daughter, Clementine, who says I've got to apologise. She says it is Trastevere, as Corrie said, not Trastevere. And, and Stanley Tucci 
uh, the other night on CNN confirmed that. Well, and he has Italian parents. He's American. I'm still going to say trust of Oh, don't you? Well, don't because you're wrong. We've had so many wonderful tips, Corrie, and so many. I just want to mention John Brooker, who gave me all those wonderful tips in New Zealand all those years ago. He's raved about Ishka, an island just off Naples, which of course is a, a regular occurrence in my brilliant friend in that lovely quartet by Elena Ferrenti, which reminded me, which we didn't mention, Corrie Ponza, another island between Rome and Naples, where my daughter Clem had a beautiful holiday once. She went on my tip, actually, because I had never did. been, and I said, I've always dying to go, always wanted to go to Ponza, and off she went. And Caro Julie Rust on Facebook said, I loved the fantasy trip to Italy, and she says she was lucky enough to spend five weeks there in 2019, including some time in Sicily. Agree with Corrie, Rematera. Magical. That was the village that's built into caves, Caro, on the on the mountain. Continue, she continued on to Puglia and visited Lecce, the Florence of the South. Just beautiful, not as crowded. A little treasure in Sicily is Schicilli, I think is how you pronounce it. Look it up. Thanks, ladies. And to Susan Self on Facebook, who said, So many listeners could never afford to go to Italy pre or post-COVID. A tad elitist question mark? Well, I have a bit of a problem with that, um, Susan. I acknowledge that not everybody can afford to go to Italy. And I think I did actually start our travel journey last week by saying, if you save up for years and years, as at least I do, or I have in the past to get away and go to Italy, this is a fun time for you. We weren't suggesting that everybody who listens can go, or indeed I go every year. We don't just talk about things that everyone can afford. It's a nice dream. And in fact, Shaster Mason via email actually recommends something that doesn't require going to Italy. And it's Gino DeCampo's recipe books, his TV show and him himself. So I haven't followed Gino, but she recommends that. And thanks to all the people who spoke about the Cinque Terre, which I have done a bit of. It is just, well, I did all I could, the bits that weren't closed. Absolutely beautiful. There were so many great recommendations. And our old friend, Amanda Pillman, uh, who we both went to school with, different schools, Caro, she said, I'll call you there. Initially, from Italy in August, we might put a, have a bit of a live cross to Pell. What do you reckon? <laughs> Why not? Who's married to Brian Cad? We could get Cad Man, Cad Cad Man, Man. to sing Ginger Man as well. <laughs> could Sorry. you sing it, please? Go I'm on. not going to sing it, but oh, it's God. definitely Ginger Man. You know what? Before we get to our 200th episode, I'm going to get you to sing a song on no, the I, podcast. We, we, want, we want people to keep listening, Corrie. Now, there is a lot to talk about today. I've got a beautiful, simple cake recipe that I made over the weekend. You've got a book. I've been to the movies. But we're going to start off with the old politics. Politics of lockdown. It is quite an extraordinary situation we find ourselves in where, well, the people I, I communicate with a lot, that's the AFL, are incredibly frustrated at the moment with New South Wales and Gladys Berejiklian because there's a view that she took too long to close down. That's what all the health experts are saying. If you read the news limited um, media, New South Wales doesn't exist. There is no lockdown. I don't think they reported it in the Herald Sun on either Sunday or Monday, extraordinary, or maybe Saturday. Um, The Age is reporting, reported on Tuesday that health experts are saying they could be responsible for re-spreading it around Australia. Now, Victoria made mistakes last year, huge mistakes, and Victoria copped the worst of it. But it's so disappointing. I just really hope that these numbers... Don't fluctuate too much and start to drop because it's so disappointing that poor old New South Wales is in lockdown now, or Greater Sydney anyway. It's just such a worry, Corrie. Well, it's a worry for the whole country, you're right, and also the Northern Territory and WA. And my big worry as far as those states are concerned is um, the vulnerability of Indigenous communities. Now, I know there a lot of them are out of the, you know, out of the capital cities, but that, um, that absolutely terrifies me. Caro, there was good news this week. The National Cabinet agreed to make it mandatory for all aged care workers to have at least one dose of COVID-19 vaccine by September. Well, thank God. Well, good news. I cannot time. believe that in private health care, aged health care, Less than six, I think it was 15% have been vaccinated. How does that happen? I, I don't and know. How, and how do unions complain about it being made mandatory? I was listening to Talkback Radio today and people complaining about it. Don't well, work in aged care if you're not prepared to no, be vaccinated. I, I, look, I do, I do agree. I, I mean, I'm a big a civil rights um, supporter, there's no doubt, um, on many issues. But I do think if you work in aged care or health care, you should be vaccinated. Oh. Daniel Andrews yesterday, boy, did he come out... Um, 
punching. Um, but he um, he said that um, the only way, of course, out of the pandemic is for everybody to be vaccinated. But he said that our state, Victoria, has used 91% of its vaccine supplies. We've got to get more vaccinations and vaccine into the country. It's just, as, as um, Anthony Albanese said uh, earlier this week, the Morrison government had two things to do. One was to get everybody vaccinated and the other was to... Um, or, you know, stop hotel quarantine and come up with some solution, and they've failed on both. But I mean, so have states of, of oh, but they clearly took too as long. Well. They clear, I mean, and, and you know, look, vaccination is clearly not the be all and end all. When you look at the UK, where people are still dying and cases are still growing or going up and down again, um, and yet so many of the popular was it over eighty percent? I think have been vaccinated. But it does. Uh, it is really disappointing that. We didn't get ahead of the game last well, year and buy the right vaccines. It, it's a pity that so much doubt has been cast over. Well, you've had your first AstraZeneca, haven't you? Have, yes. And um, so have I. It, so much doubt has been cast on AstraZeneca wrongly. But and also, but also the Prime Minister too, Caro, at the beginning saying, this is not a race. And people thought, oh, well, I'll kind of do it a bit later on. <laughs> not it's a totally race. It's totally a race. It's totally a race. It was interesting, Caro, CNN had a report earlier this week um, it was actually one of their lead stories. Sydney in lockdown, borders shut and hardly anyone vaccinated. Oh, that, that was the article with the big picture of the yeah. Harbour Bridge. How yep, long can Australia that. go on? And it said that although Australia was celebrated for its initial response to the pandemic and for getting its economy more or less back on track, it's now become almost a laughing stock. The security has of this has actually made us complacent. Well, I think it's made perhaps some governments complacent, not the average Australians. And that um, these circuit breaker lockdowns just can't continue. And um, CNN was absolutely scathing about our lack of quarantine measures. And um, anyway, there more, we are. We're making about, world news. Well, the vaccination was the main one, and um, and rightly so. No, look, it's really disappointing. And again, you know, covering footy, I think we're now at what round fifteen or sixteen, and I think there's been five rounds not affected by COVID, four rounds in the women's competition not affected by COVID. As we sit here today, teams are isolating because they're in airports. Teams are not sure where they're going. You know, Brisbane is playing in Adelaide on this Saturday, but they had to come to Melbourne on Wednesday where they're going to spend four days where they can at least isolate but train and live lives as people isolating, but they're able to train and go, I think, go for walks, go walk outside, but not go to cafes. And then go into Adelaide where they sit in the nets at the Adelaide Oval for four hours and sleep under tables like Jeremy Cameron did. And then, I mean, it, it's quite extraordinary what the AFL are doing to get this season underway. And I think we are going to see performances where teams just go, you know what? Mm. It's all too hard. It's all too hard. We can't I'm make sure. finals. And it must be I'm hard. I'm not prepared to do it. I did hear you guys on your Real Footy podcast, which I enjoy enormously, you and Jake and... Um, Who's Michael the, Gleason. Yeah, Michael Gleason. I love I love that podcast, Caro. I always try and catch it. And um, I was most interested to hear you comment, all commenting about the fact that, look, this is a professional game and clubs and players have been flying around the country for years. But there is that added stress, isn't it, of not knowing kind of sometimes till the last minute where you're going to be playing, uh, where your mindset is, is. Certainly for the Sydney teams, they must be worried about their families and all their connections. When are we going to get home again? It's it's just, um, it creates another level of stress and anxiety. It does. But as club bosses and AFL bosses will tell you, it's a pandemic. You're being paid really well. You're getting paid all the money that you thought you were going to be paid, unlike a lot of Australians. And you come from Sydney, you have to live in Melbourne for a few weeks. I mean, really, get over it. And if you're not prepared to, you know, forego your job and go back to Sydney and be with your family. Oh, gee, you'd be a tough boss. Well, I just think, you know, the AFL players have had it a lot better than a lot of people. But you know my views on that. Now, Corrie, um, Daniel Andrews came back to work on Monday. He released um, a video on Sunday where he spoke for the first time in great detail with his wife, Kat, about that accident. And you've asked me about these rumours, you know, in the past, and we've mentioned them, all the insidious rumours that began, wow, they began in early April. 
And by June, it had reached, you know, an absolute feeding frenzy. And I'll never understand. And what I, I don't... kept saying to you, why? I mean, they're not true. They're just not true. And why are people, when people are ringing me up, friends who I think are intelligent are actually looking at me and saying, oh, no, he was with Andrew Fox or he was with... Um, Peter Fox, or he was with Lindsay Fox, or Max Beck. Or yes, he was having whiskies with Lindsay Fox at the Portsea compound. Really, but Caro, it as, is just um, extraordinary how nasty people can be. I mean, you might not like Daniel Andrews, but he clearly had a terribly, terribly grave back injury that took a long time to recover from, and people just and no, they don't accept it. It's just weird. And look, I, I was really. Uh, heartened by one conversation I had when the rumour mill was just going nuts uh, with somebody who's very closely connected to strategic comms and so on, who pointed out that if something had happened, if there was something um, that they were trying to cover up had occurred, don't you think that one of the paramedics, one of the ambos might have told a partner at dinner that night, guess what? Guess what we saw today. You know, when we picked up Daniel Andrews had fallen down steps at something. Or don't you think some hospital staff asking all the details about it? Surely somebody would have leaked to somebody, not meaning to. We've all we're all guilty of that. Sometimes you tell somebody something in confidence, and before you know it, they've accidentally spilt the. There was not one bit of information coming out from Daniel Andrews in a sanctum, from the from the ministry, from James Molino's office, from the um, from the ambulance and, and healthcare workers who have looked after him. Nothing sinister was leaking. Hello. Well, it wasn't. <laughs> there helped. was nothing sinister there. It wasn't there. helped by the opposition and a certain minister who started asking these unbelievable questions and asking why, you know, about police and you know what what they were doing. It was. That was insidious, dirty politics at its worst. I just thought that was just horrendous. And as I say, you know, I think particularly around the Mornington Peninsula where the accident happened, the rumour mill was at its absolute strongest. And people who, as I say, I think are quite smart, normal people were looking me in the eye and saying they'd spoken to people and this was true. And I knew it wasn't. And I just didn't really, I mean, there was a criticism that the government should have been more upfront about the full detail of the accident at the time. I think there was clearly, I mean, I don't know this, but I would imagine there was a view, look, we're not going to just respond to every dirty rumour that comes um, out. Because if we start doing that, we'll be speaking every day. And Daniel Andrews made that point in his press conference, and I fully agree with that. And And in the end, they did release the ambulance response details because it got so crazy a few weeks ago. That's right. And and the people who who are at the centre of these storms, I always believe, my advice was always, you know, you're the ones who have to talk. We can't talk on your behalf. So when something terrible happens, the comms team or some deputy or something, it's not their responsibility and the public really don't want to hear from them. They want to hear, I mean, it was so clever slash controlled and slightly alarmingly controlled the way Daniel Andrews um, released this video on the weekend where which was a terrific interview, and he and Why his wife. Why was it alarmingly? Oh, because I think he's really trying to. He's he he's always trying to control the story. Even the media conference first time out, there he is at the Melbourne. But everyone tries Melbourne to control tunnel. the story, don't they? In politics, he's I don't so, think... Well, he's so good at it, and you start to I don't wonder think that's where's alarming. the truth. Well, I I do. I get a bit. Al- I, sometimes I get a bit alarmed when things are not. Things are not. Um, um, how can I say it? Um, seemingly spontaneous. Now, the fact welcome that, to politics. But and the fact, but the and... fact that also he he demanded, he insisted that John Fain be the only person who do the interview, and the Age said, "Well, we would actually like to have our own senior team interview you." No Age, I want you to take this story from John. That's Fain. actually that's actually not true. Well, I'm sorry, but Gay Alcorn was was quoted in the paper. No, I'll tell you what happened. Um, John Fain requested an interview on behalf of the Sunday Age back in April with the Premier. And um, I think someone at the Herald Sun, was it Grant MacArthur? Is that his name? The medical reporter also. And my understanding, and and this isn't just from um, the politics end, this is from the other end too, Um, John Fain was given a yes, and so was Grant MacArthur. And then the age came back and said, no, actually, we don't want John Fain. Yes, we that's want right. Trump. And John gave it to the ABC, and then the ABC but, but the, the, it. John Fain had requested on behalf of the Sunday Age to get the interview. So he was doing it on behalf of the paper he writes for mm. and was told yes. Then the age came back and said, actually, no, we want Chip Legrand or Anika Smethurst to do it. 
And the Premier said, well, I've already said yes to John Fain. Their concern too, I think, was also that John Fain had done some work for the government last year in spreading the word about the pandemic. To give it to the Herald Sun as well, after the Herald Sun, the Murdoch Press have been giving that consistently, the the Andrews government, a complete shellacking over the last 12 months. The only other thing I'll say, I do have some sympathy for John Fain, who, I don't know, I mean, I used to listen to his show and Daniel Andrews doesn't go on Neil Mitchell. So to listen to Daniel Andrews, you have to listen to him now on Virginia Trioli or previously with John Fain. John Fain used to absolutely smash the Premier. Yes, and John Fain has come out and said, I'm not friends friends with Daniel Andrews. We have a mutual regard. I've been interviewing him since he was a backbencher. We go back a long way. And I I feel sorry for John Fain too, because I think something sinister happened at the ABC when after the age said no, John took his 1800 word piece to the ABC to drop on their website. And and Carol, it wasn't just about what happened on that night in March. It was also about about, Belton Road. Yes, a whole lot of different stuff. And the ABC said no because I think John Fain had had this link with the government in the past. I think there are some people in the ABC who have a bit of a a grudge possibly against John Fain. It's very clever too to have your Premier coming out, although it was bizarre to me why you'd want to have your media conference out in the cold in the railway tunnel in North Melbourne with everybody in hard hats and fluoro coats, high-vis coats. Um, I mean, really, your first media conference, I would have thought coming back on the job to discuss all these issues. And and I gather it went for an hour and everybody's freezing cold. It wouldn't have been more professional to have it in, in, a, in a conference room somewhere in Parliament House. It reminded me, Carol, of the days when you and I first started covering footy and the after-match press conference would be held, held in the changing rooms with the players stripping down and showering right behind you. Yeah. I just thought, oh, come on, government. Like, I know you want, him, you, want him, you want to position him as being like the man on the move and infrastructure is what it's all about and I'm here to get the job done and I've got my high-vis jacket on and I'm a tough guy. But I just thought, no, they should have really taken it indoors, I thought. Yeah, oh, look, I, I don't really know about that. I guess they had an announcement to make and, yes, they want to create the impression of a state on the move. I don't criticise them for, you know, doing a, the at-home performance, which I don't think was as slick and as... No, I thought, the at-home, I, thought, thought. I thought the at-home thing was really good, was very clever. I hope <laughs> it made some people feel a bit embarrassed about the stories they were spreading. And I hope it made some people realise the lack of compassion, whether you believe in someone politically or not, you know, when someone's had a horrendous accident and all you can think is that, you know, oh, he was drunk or he was breaking the law or he was doing something. I mean, it just, I just He was turning that, blue in front of his wife. Still find that really And there are allegations that they had marital issues. Oh, and, and this poor woman, I mean, if it's happened to me, Carol, with my mother and my father, when people are in dire straits in front of you, you it's a trauma that stays with you forever. And, and... Mrs. Andrews is going to have that forever, but this whole layer of, of inference and the kids, what they must have gone through. It happens in footy all the time. You get, you'll get, a, you'll get a text, and it'll, it'll just be absolutely rigid. Edge. This is what happened to this particular club and this player, and you know there might be you know drugs and alcohol and you know all, all sorts of stuff. And you read it, and you think, wow, and then it's it's not true. And and yeah, the rumor the rumor mill is a, can be an ugly thing. It can, can indeed, really Caro. But anyway, I think we should sk- skip off to the cocktail cabinet. I think now. it's time for a drink after all that. I oh, know. That was a very sort of cut and thrust, a bit different to last week initially. Let's bring in the cocktail cabinet and welcome Miles Thompson from Prince Wine Store. Welcome, Miles. Now, um, as we said earlier, we, of course, are running this wonderful competition and the two winners of a double pass to a Prince Wine Store introductory wine course this week are Michelle Robertshaw and Meg Jeske. So Michelle talks about the time she and her husband were living in Frankfurt with her mother-in-law, who is now in the throes of dementia, insisted they take her to Reims, France. They booked a tour to Verve Clicquot at the end of the tour when they were enjoying the top complimentary glass of champers. The mother-in-law noticed people leaving after only one sip of champagne. That just won't do, she opined. She then insisted on clean glasses and proceeded to pour the leftover drinks into the clean glasses. And so they all left Verve Clicquot very inebriated. I would have done exactly the same thing. Pre-COVID times, you would have. You're not fussy. (laughs) She got clean glasses and poured it all in. I mean, what's there to happen? You are not fussy when it comes to champagne. (laughs) Meg um, went on a holiday to 
Busselton. He did an Ironman Western Australia and then enjoyed a well-earned drop of Margaret River wines on the tour. Um, anyway, she talked about how wonderful that was after 12 hours of gruelling exercise. We have another double pass miles to give away next week. Head to www.icanwin.com.au to enter, telling us in 100 words or less about your best wine experience or adventure. Now, um, and of course, you can do that through our show notes or the other social media channels. Cocktails to serve on a 21st birthday. And we mm. talked about my sister's favourite cocktail, the French 75, and you're going to tell us how to make it. Yeah, so I got, I, I double checked with <clears throat> Tiff at Bellotta just uh, what her recipe is because she's a bit of a cocktail fiend. So. <laughs> Bellotta being the restaurant next door but, yeah, to your Bellotta place. Yeah, Bellotta being the, the wine South bar Melbourne. restaurant next door. Yeah, she's Melbourne, the manager yeah. there. She's awesome. And so she gave me her recipe. I mean, look, it's, it's pretty simple. They're all pretty much the same. It's about 45 mils of gin, just a good straight gin, none of those you know extra flavoured gin, just a London dry style, classic juniper-driven gin. So about 45 mils. Um, freshly squeezed lemon juice, it's about 30 mils. Uh, a bit of sugar or sugar syrup, if you have it, about 15 mils. So you shake on ice the the gin and the sugar syrup um, with the uh, with uh, the 30 mils of lemon juice, straight it into a champagne glass, and top it off with champagne. Oh wow! Yeah, it's it's the most beautiful wow. cocktail. So good. And you can I've given you all a bottle of my recently made lemon cordial because lemons are just everywhere at the moment. You actually. Do not need friends or to go to the supermarket to get yeah. your lemons all at the moment, Virginia Trioli. But maybe you could try, this is my grandmother's old recipe, maybe you could try a bit of the lemon cordial, Corrie, because it's got you the could. lemon, it's Already got the sweet. syrup. Yeah, yeah, You make the sugar syrup. And and if you shake it with the ice, what happens is the ice melts and dilutes it a bit, so that's where you kind of get a bit of dilution. So, And you can been, top it up with soda if you want, if you, if you don't want to have too much. I have known to put your cordial in a gin and tonic. Why arrow. not? Really? But not the very first lot you gave me years ago because I didn't know that you had to put it in the fridge. Yes, and it goes mouldy. There's a little bit of mould there a couple I'm of sorry, weeks later. The bottles are getting a bit small and mean at the moment. Jane and I really out. dipped out, but that's okay. Miles has well, Miles brought us that beautiful wine, the Sua- <laughs> Suave. Last, Suave, he did. Last week. So, Have you had yours beautiful. yet? You've enjoyed it? Yeah, I'm embarrassed to say. <laughs> Scoffed. <laughs> well and Which, truly what, what, did you, what did you have? The... That beautful bottle of Suave. Oh, you had the Suave. So, ca- so right. Caro, yeah, Caro took, took the white the... and I took the red, which I haven't had yet oh, because right. I want to have a proper tasting no, of some yeah. cheese. All right, Miss Show-Off. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, Glad you enjoyed it. Um, Miles, when we turned 21, Caro and I, um, what was, it was the 80s and, oh, well, I remember at the bar of... Um, my 21st ordering a fluffy duck and the blue lagoon was also pretty big but most parents uh, did the old punch routine so they get the huge granny's big silver bowl and fill it up and they were very careful with the quantities of alcohol and then the kids would uh, much different to 21 year olds now we'd sneak into the cupboard and throw in some extra rum or something like that (laughs) if you were going to make a punch in the 21st century to appeal to well, they're not millennials now. They're Gen Zeros, I think they're called. Um, what would yeah, you be putting in it? I think I think some of those kind of old school cocktails, and I mean the French seventy five, sort of from the turn of the twentieth century. So I think some of those old school drinks are sort of back in fashion. Um, classic cocktails and things like that. Not a huge punch drinker, but I, I, I was going to talk about rum. I think rum is such a good punch base. It's 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 kind of you said it before, but it's perfect. Rum actually is kind of a bit like vodka, particularly the white rums. It doesn't take on, it doesn't impart a lot of flavour, and then you can sort of put whatever you want against it. Um, but look, w- when I have friends in Canada and we we have punch all through summer there, when I go travelling there, and it's usually just a bit of bit of Sprite, bit of ginger ale, whatever juices you want, particularly pineapple juice, those tropical juices, and mix to whatever quantities. That you desire. Oh, we I, used to live. That was our first sort of cocktail craze: white rum, yeah. Bacardi. In my day, and it always went really well with citrus. Well, well we used to vitamise whatever fruit we had: watermelon, you know, cantaloupe, pineapple. Yeah, chop up some fruit, throw it throw in, in there. A bit of whatever those. Fruit. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's kind of whatever whatever you like. But rum is really just spot on for that. There's tons of good rum in the market too, as well. Do you sell white rum at Prince Wine? Yeah, School? we we do. We we. We sell uh, a lot of French Caribbean rums, so from Martinique and the Caribbean and places like that, which are really fantastic for that. So you can get the white rums or you can get the darker rums, which are aged. Um, and there's another rum. So St. James rum is one that we sell a lot of. It's a white rum. It has a dark rum. And there's one called Plantation, which is a pineapple-infused rum. 
And that would be absolutely perfect for a. Oh, I a, feel now. I, I mean, Hawaii having a mai tai yeah. or a chi chi or something. Or a pina colada. Yeah, they're, oh. ba- they're back as well. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. They're a bit Good. sweet, aren't they? Or no? That song just goes yeah. around in my head all the time. <laughs> Don't that's, play it. All that's really interesting. What's the other dark rum? That is it, Captain Morgan's. That was another favourite yeah. back in the yeah. day. Well, they've done a lot of push at advertising. You see Captain Morgan's. It's not a bad rum at all. It's it's you know good for mixing for sure. I mean, you don't want a super premium rum that's you know a sipping rum because you're going to mix it with all all this juice and soft drink and stuff. So I like the sound of the pineapple infused one. Yeah, I think that plantation pineapple rum is such a good good. I bet, bet the bottle's really attractive. Too. Yeah, it's cool. It's really cool. Oh, it's got a great story behind it. And... Bloody bottle collection, Caro. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am running a bit low, Miss Jane. You need, as you can see by your very mean little mini bottle of um, lemon cordial. Mean. But don't worry, the next one will be bigger. The next one will be bigger. Me I was no able meaning. to give away a lot of presents, and Miles got the special one because. Um, oh, that's right. We don't mind. You know, oh, he's our guest. coming in last. Awesome. He's our guest. No, well, that's. I think twenty firsts are not the only reason you need to make cocktails, but I think a French seventy five is a very sophisticated so so idea. Delicious, and try to use champagne if you can. That's really what it's sort of designed for. But As if you're going to use not another prosecco, or... yeah, don't use prosecco. It's a bit sort of fruity. If you're going to use, if you don't want to use champagne, something really sort of dry. You need something quite dry. So we have one called Prince Estevac. We might have talked about it on the show, which is from France, which is a really dry. It's all white grapes. Oh, but okay. It, yeah, you want to make sure you do something really, really dry. So, um, speaking... what's your go-to champagne out of interest? Uh. I really like Blanc de Blanc, so I really like the Chardonnay-based champagne. So I love Le Manger Bernier. I love Pierre Peters, which is one of the one of the champagnes mm, we love, import. I love that one. I got hooked on that over summer. Such a good wine. That's what they use in, in Bellotta for the French 75s when they make In fact, I, I, I've opened up a bottle. It's not inexpensive, Cara. I opened it up once, I think, our first Scrabble game of the summer from memory. You probably don't remember. Yeah, it's beautiful. He, yeah. he makes just phenomenal Bought it from you guys. Champagne. Yeah, okay, fantastic. No, it's really, really good. <laughs> I buy everything from you yeah. now. Well, oh my goodness, I'm running is... up a bill at your place. <laughs> Miles, as always, fabulous to see Miles, you. Miles, can we just put, a, put something on notice for next week? Ooh, it will be my sure. turn to do a recipe, something I cooked on the weekend, which was really successful, and it involves chicken with um, citrus flavours. So I was thinking mm. about the old roast chicken. You do a great roast, roast chicken, Caro. So if we look at chicken recipes, what sort of wines would you be serving with chicken? And they may not sure. all be white either. So yeah, can I just leave not. that one with you to think about? Happily. it's. Um, I was thinking my clementines are finally about to fruit and I was thinking about that fabulous Otto Lingi recipe, you know, the chicken with clementines yes. and fennel and yes. fennel seeds. The most beautiful recipe and it's just so much better if you actually use clementines because they're very orange. Yes. Oh, I look forward to that, Miles. Yeah, well, my sister just sent me that recipe last week. Oh, really? I asked her, I was like, huh, I need some new some new bits and pieces. It's and she's like, proof. Well, maybe you could test drive it this week and, and have a little wine tasting yeah. on your own. Perno, you've got to put Perno oh, in Oh, Perno, well. sure. Okay. Well, I mean, it's uh, there's with another the, one the they recommend, but I've always, I don't know why, I seem to have a bit of Perno handy. Perno's a classic. It is a classic, good with prawns too. Oh, so good with seafood in general, yeah. Miles, that was fabulous. And remind I just want to remind everyone again to enter this wonderful competition, which involves winning a double pass to a Prince Wine Store introductory wine course. Michelle Robertshaw and Meg Jeske are our winners this week. In 100 words or less, tell us about your best wine experience or adventure. Um, if God, you, Cara, you could write a book on that one. I could. So could you, Corrie. <laughs> right back at you. <laughs> Um, that was a cocktail cabinet for Prince Wine Store. Remember, they bring Melburnians the greatest wine in the world. Visit princewinestore.com.au and use the promo code MEWS, that's short for messenger, in capital letters at checkout online to receive your listener discount. You'll find the links in our show notes. Yay. Now, for 100% red energy, Australian electricity and gas, Corrie has a crush. Oh, he gives me energy. Caro, he surely does. This is Stanley Tucci. Oh, you've, you, look, Corrie, this is just another excuse to talk about him. <laughs> oh, it's another excuse to talk about Italy. Is there no end to this man's talents? Not only is he a brilliant actor, a former fashion model, I discovered. He played Meryl Streep's charming husband, Paul, in Julie and Julia to her Julia Child. Oh, he yes. was a smash hit last year on Instagram making those Negronis. 
And he has been lucky enough to kiss Colin Firth in the movie Supernova, which you and I haven't been. I'm dying to see that. And now, each Monday night via CNN, we can watch Stanley Tucci searching for Italy. Oh, Cara, have you seen it yet? No. Okay, so if you don't have a, a Foxtel situation or you can't get CNN, I'm sure there are other ways that you can see this program. So I don't want to sound elitist about this, but every Monday night, uh, this six-part series, so this week we did Rome, last week we did the Amalfi and Naples. You would have adored the Naples. That was all about the pizza. Um, this week in Rome, it was all about Rome's three or four favourite um, pasta dishes. We went to Trastevere. We went to the Jewish Quarter with Stanley. It's gorgeous. It's informative. It's steeped in history. He goes through the his, the culinary history of Italy and how things developed, which is just so incredibly fascinating. Mussolini tried to get rid of pasta because it was seen as the pauper's he, pauper's a staple, and he was trying to um, eliminate that entire class of people. It was—it's just such an interesting. Um, that it, worked well, didn't it? Getting rid of pasta. <laughs> <laughs> well, look what happened to him. But he, but he's not. I love Stanley. He's quite. He's quite. Um, Paired back in his presentation, he's very elegant and he's very respectful of the chefs and the people with whom he chats. He's not a gusher like a, a Carluccio or a Rick Stein. Um, it, he reminds me a lot of um, Joanna Lumley, you know, her travel series that we love. Anyway, I think this is beautiful. So, uh, as I said, Naples and the Amalfi Coast uh, and Rome. And then we're off to, I think next week, Bologna which my friend Mary says uh, she lived there for a while when she did a painting course and she says it's just about the best city in Italy to stay. Um, and then he does Milan, Tuscany, Sicily. So watch that one, everybody. But he is just, he he has nailed the travel cuisine brief. Love him. In my next life, I want to come back and host a travel series. Anyway, that was Crush of the Week, which is... Hint, hint, someone out there. Which was sort of a screen. And you need a sidekick, me and Jane. Sort of food. But anyway, speaking of, it is now time for BSF. And Corrie Perkin is kicking off appropriately with a book. Yes, I am today, Caro. It's a non-fiction book, which we don't do a lot of non-fiction on this show. I am urging anybody who has a book club to think seriously about doing a non-fiction book this year, if you don't already, because this is the book, just like the arsonist of Chloe Hooper was the book a couple of years ago. Witness, an investigation into the brutal cost of seeking justice by award-winning journalist Louise Milligan Caro. She came to the shop a few weeks ago before before our recent May lockdown and we had uh, a full house with a waiting list, so much so that we're actually doing a second event with her in a few weeks. If anybody's interested, just have a look at mybookshop.com.au when the details come up. We're just confirming that with her now. This is a really she's – she's a lovely writer, Louise Milligan, but her 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 the force of her work really comes from the relationships that she forges with the people she interviews. She's like you, Caro, you know, has an amazing contact book, but once she starts talking with people and they trust her, they open up, they tell her a story, and then when she goes public with it, more people come on board. Yes, that happened to me as well. With this book, what she's doing is she's looking at um, how uh, how the court process works so adversely against those people who come forward and speak of an injustice, usually of a a sexual allegation nature. So, for example, there's a fair bit of George Pell in here as well, but there's also a really fantastic first chapter, which is just gripping on the Saxon Mullins five-year case. That was the Sydney girl who was raped in the laneway behind the King's Cross nightclub by the son of the nightclub's owner. After two trials and two appeals, um, Luke Lazarus uh, was acquitted of that crime and Saxon um, talks uh, really um, frankly with Louise Milligan, would she ever go through that process and that court process again? There are a whole lot of um, really interesting examples in this. As I said, 
the George Pell case is interesting, not so much because of the George Pell drama itself and, and what was happening to um, the, the most senior Catholic clergy, former clergy in our land, but the, the victims and the parents of the victims who, um, who went through this gruelling court case and were um, some of them were so, um, so stripped bare by Robert Richter QC, who was um, acting on behalf of George Pell. This is a really wonderful book, Caro. It reminds us of um, how the legal system here in Australia works. There is a there's a positive angle to this toward the end. Uh, you know, Louise and many she speaks to many experts, judges, um, lawyers, people who work uh, in not for profit sectors, people who work in in um, child abuse and that sort of area. There's lots of solutions that and 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 um, I guess um, suggestions about how we can go forward and improve our 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 legal parameters and um, the, the way we do things here in Australia. It is a great book. But Did you so make many... it interesting, though? I mean, the I, I couldn't. It's read all the, in the storytelling. I couldn't read the arsonist because I just thought I, I know I'm sure it's brilliant, but it was just it sounded so horrific to me. The whole story was so depressing, and and this sounds quite grueling as well. And yet, what what keeps you in uh, the stories? So, yeah. so each chapter is 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 a story, and she 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 fills in. I mean, Saxon Mullins, to use as an example, you know, we meet this bright, um, buoyant, optimistic young woman who has everything ahead of her. You know, she's she's been a good kid at school, a terrific child. You know, in her family life, nothing wrong, uh, nothing it, like she had. And she has this one night out on the booze. Um, and she's taken advantage of in the most horrendous way. And her courage in coming forward and her fight for justice and all of the people who kind of glued onto her and her cause. And, of course, reading this book at the time of Brittany Higgins and um, the whole Christian Porter episode, it just it, it's such a compelling and relevant book. And I think there are lots of lessons here for all of us to learn, not just um, lawmakers, um, but also people who are um, CEOs or managers of business, if in fact something comes to the fore, there's been an allegation of sexual abuse or sexual misconduct within your workplace, how you should actually approach that and go through it. To all of us, if something happened to one of our daughters or indeed our sons, it's just, it's really, um, it's really gripping and um, I can't recommend it more highly as a terrific book club book. So that's Witness by Louise Milligan who interestingly, last week it was announced she's being sued by another politician. So she's certainly rattling cages in Canberra, Caro. Well, she is. She's managed to get through a few of those. And you have a film. I've been back to the movies. And last week we spoke about Into the Vines, which we were we liked, but was it wasn't a great film. If you love talking vines, it's a ripper. But it was a visual feast set near um, Naples in Italy, most of it. And then I also mentioned Cruella, which was just is just an incredibly visual feast, mainly in the world of fashion. Think Vivian Westwood. Well, in, um, in the Heights is a musical that came out a couple of weeks ago. It is just an unbelievable oh, feast for the Oh, you know how I Heights. feel about musicals. I'm very nervous about them. I love musicals. This is written by Lynn Manuel Miranda, who of course wrote Hamilton. That, that's what you know he's most famous for, and um, the guy who um, directed Crazy Rich Asians directed it. His name is John Chu, John M. Chu. Corey, this is just beautiful to look at. It is an absolute hoot. It's set the Heights is Washington Heights, which is a largely Latino district in New York. It is um, sort of a bit of a West Side Story meets, meets Hamilton, I guess, because there's a lot of hip-hop, except it's set in the present day, in the days leading up to a power blackout in the middle of a heat wave in the Heights. It's a love story involving two couples, which is, you know, sort of West Side Story without the tragedy, I suppose. Bit of tragedy, well, but not a, that a much. A mixed race element or...? It's all Latino. It is just unbelievable. The dancing and the singing and the music is just beautiful. I've got to say it could have used a bit of an edit. It goes for well over two hours. And the story is beautiful, but it's quite light, sort of thin. It involves a lottery ticket. It involves um, family breaking out of, you know, racial stereotyping. One of the girls has gone to um, Berkeley or or one of the big universities anyway and... um, and comes home because she drops out um, 
The other one works in a beauty salon and dreams of being a fashion designer. The main man in it, the only actor I recognised was Jimmy Smith. Remember Jimmy Smith? Yeah, I do. From not LA Law. LA Law. Was it LA Law? Completely LA Law. So anyway, but... um, Oh, the car, they're, they're unbelievable. But Anthony Ramos, who I think was the star of Hamilton, he's the main character. He's fabulous. You will just be, you'll be knocked out by it. But as I say, they could have probably lost 10 to 15 minutes because the story couldn't quite sustain the length of the movie. But every musical number is just amazing. I wonder what David has said about it. David saw it. And I think gave it three and a half stars. Mm. I think gave he's, it three and a half. He's a bit like me with musicals. No, he, he was very. I think he, I can't remember what he said in the review, but no. I'm look. It's it's the yeah. last great one I saw was Hello Dolly, directed by <laughs> um, Gene Kelly, starring Barbara Streisand. With Barbara Streisand. Oh. Well, there's a lot of Babs. nods to other musical in this. There's a bit of Busley, Busby Berkeley. There's a one at the local pool, you know, with all that sort of Busby Berkeley swimming stuff. There's um, one where they dance up the side of a building, which reminded me, I think, is that Singing in the Rain? Yeah, Fred Astaire. There's a Fred Astaire movie where he dances Donald O'Connor, I think, <laughs> does it too. Anyway, look, it's it's absolutely beautiful. Um, I, I, I do have a, a, a bit of a reservation about how well musicals translate onto the screen, but I do love a musical in real life, and I'm vying for, with my son-in-law, Charlie, for Hattie's attention regarding Frozen, the musical, which is currently on in Melbourne. Oh, yes. Charlie, I think, is going to take her, but I'm trying to get in there as well. See, sometimes you just need a child. You need an excuse of a child to go and see these things. Well, we went and saw Mary Poppins, didn't we, with Hattie? Not Hattie. Didn't we? Didn't we take one of your... One of your, or did we take one of your other? Um, yeah, my one of my nieces, great nieces yes. or nieces? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, Hattie would have been too little. Anyway, <laughs> that hasn't been to the movies yet. Hasn't Waiting she? for that one. No, we sit at home and like she's so still and compared to the other, compared to her sister, but she's so still and so engaged in the moment. Hence, Paddington One, Paddington Two. Oh, you have um, to take her to the movies then. Um, now, Caro, on to food, and what's your recipe? Well, I made a cake over the weekend. This is a cake I've been making for many years. Um, Joe Campion, our dear friend, makes it a lot too. It is the easiest recipe in the world. It is full. Is this the lime one? The lime and oh, coconut yeah, syrup I love cake. This. I've made this so many times. It, it is a winner, Potties. It's in my Take wedding notes. cookbook, and I, I meant to photograph it because I left it at home, but I see it's on the number one recipe on taste.com.au. Now, because lemons, as I said, are so plentiful at the moment, hence your lemon cordial. I didn't have limes, and I thought, no, I'm going to do it with lemons and see how it works. Look, it's just as nice. You are, it is the easiest recipe in the world. You basically mix all the wet ingredients, which is butter, eggs, and three-quarters of a cup milk. The dry ingredients are self-raising flour, caster sugar, and desiccated coconut, all about one and a half, one and a quarter I also cups. add some zest, actually, into the mixture, too. You can do mm. that. With, and with lime, it's so pretty because it's got that little green Well, it, this, you just mix it all up. Put it into a cake tin. Um, I think it's um, 20, 22 centimetres wide round cake tin. Cook it for about 40 minutes. And then when you take it out, as soon as you take it out, when it's still in the tin, you sit the tin on a plate and you pour over the lime or lemon syrup, which is basically three limes, rind finely shredded and juiced, half a cup of white sugar, Cook it all up with um, a bit of water. Is it water? Maybe there's not. Maybe it's just a lot. No, there's not. There's just the juice and the um, limes or the lemons. Three lemons makes quite a lot of juice. Plus, as you say, the rind. Pour it over the hot cake. Leave it till it's sort of lukewarm room temperature and then serve it with yogurt. Mm. And it's beautiful and moist like um, like or a ice cream. Pu- like a- Pudding, almost like a yeah, but, lemon chiffon pudding. But the next, I mean, we've, it's just sitting now in the cake tin at home, and you have a little slice with your cup of tea every day. It is absolutely beautiful. Recipes are in our show notes, Corrie. BSF, uh, that's it. Thank you, Red Energy. Most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. And maybe it's time we all called 131806 for 100% Aussie electricity and gas. Did the shortbreads I made you wing their way to you? No, you were. Or did the Corns eat them all? I left them at the Corns for you, our no, friends. No, I never. Oh, they, got... must have, they must have scoffed them. Roadie, Pete the Roadie. No, it's funny about that. Cough up. It's funny about that. Now, very quickly, Corrie, there is a lot to be grumpy about at the moment. Um, I can't get to Sydney to see my family. They're all housebound, which is pretty hard for them. But 
What I, and there is construction going on everywhere around us. I know it's great that people are in jobs and people are doing construction. Oh, St Kilda Road will never be the same, I fear. Outside my house is a hole the size of this table we are sitting You've around. You've talked about this hole before. No, this is another hole. That was a little hole She's outside the, the front desk, gate. She's thumping the desk, Miss Jane. It gets scary when she does that. I don't like it. I feel like I'm on footy classified. Corrie, there is – first it was a hole – then this massive dumpster bin, which, you know, you can't even sneak stuff in there because the workmen seem to be there 24-7. I'm going to put stuff in there anyway. I do love an empty dumpster bin. Let's face it, who doesn't? Either to take things out or we'll put things into. <laughs> they are digging this hole. I can't. It, it's something to do with power. It is right outside our house. The bin is bigger, wider than our house. It goes over to the next door house. So there's nowhere to park in my street. The noise. What's you happening, Carol? Cut to the chase. What What are they building? What are they doing? They're, they're doing something down this manhole. Manhole, about 10 men could fit down there. They could all be ruckmen. Seriously. Why is it always a manhole? Why can't it be a woman That's Samson Ryan, who played for <laughs> Richmond the other night, who unfortunately didn't get a touch. 10 of him could fit down there. It is some job. And the other day, they're always very nice and apologetic. And we've just, at great expense to the management, put electric gates in our house. And... When they have everything going, it shuts out all the power and the gates won't shut or open. So I was shut inside for a few minutes the other day. That was annoying. I had to convince them to turn off their truck and all their machinery. And they didn't believe it. But, of course, when they turned it off, my gates And they're going, hey, it's open. Caroline Wilson. She they're can't being, get out. They're being particularly she can't nice. can't get to Channel 9. Quick. They're being particularly nice and friendly at the moment. This is because. you're a rock star, darling. No. Duh. No. If it was me, they'd be going, oh, tough titties. No, Corrie, they're nice to everyone who they are inconveniencing. And I realised why yesterday. Four to six weeks. The noise is deafening. I mean, it is What are deafening. they doing? They're doing something to do with the power and some line they're putting through. Why I don't, don't you understand. ask and get specifics for next week? I'm not interested. I'm not interested <laughs> I in would what be. they're doing. I would be saying what you're doing. I tell you what, Cara, the inconvenience of trucks and things in your driveway, I'm not going to miss. There are many things about the bookshop I'm, I will miss after 12 years. The one thing I will not miss is being next door to a restaurant that in the morning when you're pulling up your car into one little car space, there are there's the fish van there's the butcher van, there's the fruit and veg van, and they all park in your area so they can whiz in next door to the restaurant and drop their morning loads. And I'm sorry, I have a job. I have a shop to open. <laughs> Won't be missing that. Is that Bistro Terry? <clears throat> oh, I or wasn't going it, to name names. It is the most beautiful restaurant. Corrie, that was what I'm grumpy about. Now okay, it is time. six quick questions, red energy and... Um, Who's I'm going to kick off? it off. Oh, okay, you're Which federal off. parliament bill amendment last week warmed your heart? Oh, Caro, you'll love this. You'll agree with this. So you know how there's um, the Arts and Communications Minister, Paul Fletcher, has been really trying to um, work, I guess, on Foxtel's behalf. I'm not really sure about that. To cut 10% of annual programming spend to just 5% yes. um, under this new Eligible Drama Expenditure Act. Well, anyway, thank God the Parliamentary Committee in the Senate acted as it should, and I must say there are coalition members on that uh, committee as well, and they said, no, that's no, that's not good. What happens to Australian stories? Now, just to give Potties uh, some perspective here, 2018-2019, Foxtel spent $25 million on Australian drama, which was down 50, almost $57 million from the year before. That's huge. Under the new proposed measures, Foxtel was expected to spend as little as twelve million or twelve and a half million. So, how do you make any Australian content on that? That's kind of one show, That's as a opposed bit scary. to six shows. Anyway, thank goodness the committee objected to the government's attempt, and um, there you go. It's off the agenda. So, um, but although we still have too, way too little, way too little Australian content on Foxtel, Corrie, which um, what's your latest Barnaby anxiety? <laughs> Where do I begin? <clears throat> okay, so as we know, Barnaby is now back in the uh, leadership chair of the Nationals, and of course that means he's Deputy Prime Minister. And as a result of this re-elevation to his old role, he is now part of a special cabinet group designed to provide a fresh lens on women's safety and security at Parliament House. <laughs> I did say that. <laughs> we must remember this is Barnaby Joyce who resigned from the role of leader following accusations of sexual harassment in 2018, which he strenuously denies, and then the separate revelation that he was having an extramarital affair with a staffer. Where do we begin with Barnaby? Plus, he's put his old mates back in the job, including Bridget McKenzie. 
Oh, my goodness me. I'm just outraged. Caro, what will you never take for granted again after events of the last week? Being able to speak. <laughs> I um, I as you know, I had. Um, I'm sorry to laugh at your. I had a very minor tell potty. I had a very minor little oral procedure procedure last Friday morning, which involved local anaesthetics at both sides of the back of my mouth. Look, it's it. Hopefully, it's nothing serious, but I basically. I mean, I hadn't really been explained to me what it was going to mean. It was something I was meant to do earlier in the year, but as you know, I rushed to Amsterdam at very short notice. Um, I was basically warned just before it happened that I would be speaking through gritted teeth for the next 24, 48 hours. No solids, no tea, no coffee, nothing hot or cold, which means coffee and alcohol. (laughs) The only two things worth drinking I wasn't able to have. That's not true. I couldn't have tea. And I could, also, you're a radio personality and a television personality. I could have a cup of tea, but I had to wait till it cooled down. What happened, to your, coffee. Car- what happened to your career? Well, I, I realised I wasn't going to be able to speak on radio, so I you know, sadly missed out on going on 3AW pregame on Saturday, which was a pity because it was back at the footy, as it will be this weekend. And I will be back this weekend. As you can tell, I can now speak again. We haven't stopped for an hour. Well, I'm so excited to be talking again. Thank heavens for text messaging. And, you know, I wrote my column for The Age, but I'm having to text all the changes and text all the checks to the sports editor. It was a very strange experience. I quite like it when you're thing out of the Adams family. And (laughs) it was... Not enjoy it. I mean, obviously eating and drinking is a bit annoying as well, but not being able to speak, that was a real stretch. Anyway, that's what I'll never take for granted again. Corrie, what's the strangest piece of music to add you've heard this week? Russell Morris's The Real Thing, which I adored, groundbreaking when it came out in 1969, written incidentally by Johnny Young of The Young Talent Time, and you knew that. Is now accompanying the Buller Cream ad that you see ad nauseum if you watch MasterChef. <laughs> What's the point that the cream is the real well, product? It's cr- yeah, yeah, it's a real. Well, and that's been Buller's. I think uh, about five or ten years ago. Um, Mojo, their advertising agency, came up with this thing that Buller Cream is real, which is great. That's terrific. But why take this classic? And Although, when I did a bit of research on this, Caro, the song was actually used by uh, Channel 7 for its AFL coverage in 2007, which I can't remember. It's always a bit sad when that happens. It was a theme of oh. that very poor film, Palm Beach, one of the members of the band, and that film starring Sam Neill and um, Brian Brown, yes. etc., and Greta Which Stakey. you saw and quite liked, but you said it was just... Oh, no, it, it, was, no, it was no good. Lost no, I didn't. The last hurdle. No, no, I did. Didn't work at all. But anyway, um, th- that was a theme that okay, they'd sold well, their one hit to that's um, an stra- ad company. That's my strange music um, combo. What's the strangest piece of piece of casting you've seen on film this week? Oh, this is hysterical. Another film. Well, because I couldn't speak, I went to the movies because that's one thing you can do. Another film I saw starred Bill Nye. Oh, as yeah, an as an Aussie, Aussie, as a Broken Hill. Property owner, yes, whose daughter, farmer, a strange daughter, comes back. I don't want to see that. American I daughter-in-law. Love, yeah, I love Bill. Um, look, seriously, <laughs> Bill Nye saying good day. <laughs> you know, you, you have to just. I thought, what am I doing here? But it was called Buckley's Chance. It, it had Bill Nye in, who I absolutely love. Um, not a bad Australian cast. Filmed, as I said, just outside Broken Hill. Another visual feast. The, the actual um, cinematography saves it. But it, Bill spends most of the time sitting there looking around saying, what am I, what am I doing here? What are you doing there, he Bill? filmed it apparently just before COVID. It's an Aussie-Canadian co-production. And I've seen the shorts. I was as bewildered as you. Why would you go and see it? Well, because it was on and it was on at a good time. <laughs> and um, I, I was up in, in the means of research for this podcast, Corey. Look, um, the acting performances aren't bad. Um, as I say, it's great to look at. It involves a very thin sort of drama um, involving the the grandson who is American and who has been kicked out of every school in New York because his father's died, the firefighter dad, and he's left home many, many years ago. And so would I with Bill seeming so strange in his surroundings. And the, the property is called Buckley's Chance. And, oh, there's a couple of very 
hopeless sort of crims who anyway it, it's a it's a, a story about land ownership about father son bonding about this New York woman who's basically doesn't know what else to do and why she would go to Broken Hill is beyond me but anyway it's an interesting story but watching Bill as a rancher an Aussie rancher rancher with a cobra and saying good day is just one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Apparently, Did you notice that Jane and I sort of phased out about a minute and a half ago? Apparently he, he went and stood but in Jane's a bar and put money on the bar and said to all these blokes, just talk. Bear's and he taped still them. Asleep. <laughs> it will it, it, it's, the a Janie? it's a fascinating thing to see. Bill Nye in Buckley's Jump. Yep, okay, good. Well, then we again, won't be seeing that one. Again, strangely, David gave it three stars. Oh, I think, David, I think David's David. getting a bit, bit generous in his old age. Now, that was the podcast for this week. Thank you to all our supporters, particularly Red Energy, who power our podcast and our live events. Book your tickets now for the Don't Shoot the Messenger and the Sounding Board mashup. That is a live performance between the two podcasts. Oh, Karen, can I plug, plug something? When sorry. I finish this, Corrie, oh, sorry. it's at the Astor Theatre. It's on Thursday the 22nd of July. It costs $35. Sorry, Mum. Come at five, have a drink. The podcast starts at six. Remember, you can connect with us via Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And, Corrie, you want to plug something? I do. Evie Wilde, who won the Stella Prize this year, Caro, she is going to be in a special webinar event with me. If anybody would like to join in, it's next week. It's at cocktail hour, six o'clock, which is 9am London where she lives. I can't remember what day it is now. I think it's Tuesday. Anyway, jump onto mybookshop.com.au and you will see it there. We would love to have you. It's a great book and I hope book clubs all around Australia are doing it. You can hit the sign-up button on Facebook or in our show notes or send us an email and we'll subscribe you. Email feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au and, Corrie, what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. Hello, it's Stavros from O'Brien Real Estate. Want to know what's happening in real estate? Join me on Under the Hammer. Market trends, boom suburbs, and what to do if you're buying or selling. We've got it all on Under the Hammer. Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series. Available from wherever you get your podcasts and the SEN app.